everyone, it's Wednesday, February 10th, 2021, and you're listening to an episode of the Charge or Die podcast. As always, I am your host, Brad Eiselvik, and I'm here to talk to you about electric cars, plug-in hybrids, regular hybrids, and, well, regular cars, too. We're charging forward to a new transportation future, and uh, this is where we talk about it. On today's episode, we will touch on the new Audi e-tron GT, uh, the news from Rivian about an IPO, uh, the updated Mitsubishi Outlander, uh, as well as some of the reviews for the Ford Ranger Tremor. Uh, In the big discussion segment, uh, we will talk about the $25,000 Tesla. It's being talked about again. It sounds like it's much closer to a reality. Uh, Some general questions about how that will occur uh, are definitely worth discussing. Uh, And then last up, a quick little run about living with PHEV in 13 plus inches of snow and 9 degree weather. So all that and more coming up on this episode of the Charge or Die podcast. So to start with the news... We'll pick up with the story that came out yesterday, which is the Audi e-tron GT. Uh, If you're familiar at all with what uh, Volkswagen is doing, uh, they've spent a lot of money, obviously, on the ID3 and the ID4, but the Porsche Taycan has really been the uh, poster child, I guess, for their EV efforts kind of going forward. Uh, The e-tron GT is picking up where the Taycan left off. It is the exact same chassis. It's using the same battery and the same motors, uh, but it's wearing an Audi suit. So think uh, A7, S7, RS7, um, but electrified, I think is the easiest way to kind of think of things. Uh, So it's got a 94 kilowatt hour battery. Base version of the Audi e-tron GT has about 500-ish horsepower. Uh, the RS version will have just short of 600. Uh, Audi is promising around 3-ish seconds, 0 to 60 for both cars. RS is obviously going to be probably much quicker than that. Uh, but with their Quattro four-wheel drive system, uh, you're saying that this thing's going to have a really interesting performance edge with its rally heritage, so much more. Um, other mechanical difference, I guess, between the two of them is that... Uh, The RS is going to have this locking uh, rear axle on the rear motor, which is going to be interesting to find out how that works. Uh, More or less, I think the implication here is that the Porsche Taycan has a much more of a rear wheel bias if you're getting the all-wheel drive version uh, versus the Quattro version in the Audi that's going to be split a little more adequately and probably give you a little bit more assurance uh, with all-season high-performance driving. But uh, spec for spec, you know, hey, it kind of is what it is. Uh, Audi didn't really give range figures uh, on the car, but it's probably safe to assume it's going to be very similar to the 200-ish EPA mile range uh, that the Taycan has. We've obviously known that that actual real-world performance is much better than in the Taycan, and I imagine Audi, you know, will get somewhere around the same levels of stuff. Uh... Some of the exterior panels are actually shared between the Taycan and the Audi. It's not a huge bit of sharing, but you can definitely see some similar similar visual elements overall, um, particularly in the, uh, what do you want to call it, the side profile. They look strikingly similar, um, but, you know, the front and the rear, totally different. 
um, where Audi really kind of separated themselves from Porsche with the e-tron GT is in the interior, uh, where the Porsche has, you know, a styling element that looks very similar to the 911, the uh, Cayenne SUV, so many other things. Uh, the Audi is taking a lot of pages from the uh, A8 sedan, um, but one thing that is weirdly missing in the Audi is that it doesn't have the lower secondary touch control panel. Um, it's only using one in the center of the dash. Uh, it gives the car a much cleaner look and Audi is actually going to be offering this wood plank that goes across from the driver's side to the passenger side on the front dashboard that really I think livens up brightens the interior um, that I hope more people select because, you know, thinking of a car like the BMW i3 that has a wood package, um, it really just gives it a much more natural, comfortable feeling. And it's not to say that the Taycan isn't, Taycan, Taycan, whatever, uh, you know, the, the Audi just seems like it's going to be a much more normal car. Now, what's not going to be normal is going to be pricing. Uh, where the base Taycan starts around $80,000 for the rear-wheel drive model. Uh, the base uh, e-tron GT is going to start in a similar vein where the uh, Taycan 4S starts. So right around $100,000 for an e-tron GT entry level. An RS model is going to run just under $160,000. Uh, these cars are going to be available later this summer. Uh, here's hoping that they sell particularly well. I think they will uh, because, you know, Audi is going to Audi, and they have their Audi fans, and I think the Audi fans are really going to dig this. Uh, I would put myself solidly still in the Taycan group here, um, but it's definitely going to be interesting to see, too, if this platform eventually gets adapted by Bentley. I don't know if that's something that they would necessarily be too keen on, but I could definitely see a Continental GT-type car coming from Bentley in this regard. Um, you know, this might become that new Phaeton platform that kind of goes, goes under everything uh, at VAG. And uh, I don't think that would be a particularly bad way to handle things going forward. So uh, we'll see what happens there. Uh, in other news, uh, it was kind of alluded to last night and kind of sort of talked about today. Uh, it's looking like uh, Rivian is going to be doing an IPO sometime later in 2021 or early 2022. This, of course, is a big deal because it allows for some pretty major financial investments, uh, you know, from financial financial institutions and from the general public. This is also interesting because it was rumored not that long ago that Rivian was looking to do um, a SPAC acquisition. That's a special acquisition company, which is basically like this like stock that exists that doesn't actually do anything other than have people invest in it. And then they try to sell themselves to companies that want to get listed uh, on the NASDAQ or the, um, the Dow Jones or whatever. And so it's like a quick and easy way, basically, to get on the market uh, without actually having to do anything. Fisker did that not that long ago. ChargePoint, the elect our charging company, um, did the same. Uh, it's looking like Lucid might be doing a SPAC as well. Um, so Rivian had floated that not that long ago, and a couple of companies that may have been involved really exploded with attention on that. Uh, but Rivian, Rivian going for an IPO, I think, gives a little bit more credibility is the word I'm going to use to how the company's operating, what they plan to do, the sales that they're probably going to be able to achieve. Um, just long term, I think it looks much better for them as a company going forward. So I guess we'll see what happens there. Um, you know, thinking of Tesla when they initially did an IPO, 
Um, some people said that they were very undervalued. Obviously, Tesla today uh, is maybe perhaps a little overvalued in the market. Um, Rivian, I think, you know, could do quite well in this regard. Uh, so we'll kind of keep an eye on it and see what happens. But uh, it sounds like we're six, eight plus months away from this even happening. So uh, it's just interesting to kind of see where the market is heading. Now, while not exactly EV news, uh, we do have an announcement coming within the next uh, day or so about the Mitsubishi Outlander. Uh, the Outlander, which is sold as a plug-in hybrid model in Europe and the U.S. as well as Japan, uh, is the best-selling plug-in hybrid vehicle in the world. Uh, it's been a big deal for a long time. Mitsubishi converted uh, a crossover that wasn't exactly selling particularly well uh, to this electrified version that has gained a fairly decent following and has received quite a few different accolades uh, from reviewers and many other folks simply because, you know, it's a reliable, dependable, family-sized vehicle that gets 20-plus miles of electric range and then has, you know, an engine to back it up uh, for you to go on, you know, highway trips, go off-road, do whatever you got to do. Um, it's a surprisingly capable vehicle, and this is important with this new announcement because it means that we are going to be getting an all-new version of the Outlander plug-in hybrid electric vehicle. Uh, this new version looks to be based on the all-new Nissan Rogue that just went on sale here in the United States. Uh, with that chassis and with this new powertrain, there seems to be a bit of an assumption that uh, Mitsubishi is going to double the electric range. So this new version might have a total EV range somewhere around 40 miles. Uh, that would put that on par with its, uh, well, former uh, corporate rival, the uh, Chrysler Pacifica hybrid. Uh, the Pacifica hybrid goes about 40-ish miles before it completely runs out of juice. And doing the same in a all-wheel drive crossover is a little bit interesting, and it's also interesting when you consider uh, the Toyota RAV4 EV, which is slightly smaller, which has about a 50-mile range. Um, you know, they could really position themselves into an interesting spot here, uh, and knowing Mitsubishi, knowing their prowess in uh, all-wheel drive systems and off-road racing, you could get a pretty sporty little element here. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see where things go. Uh, more than likely, the base trim Outlander will have the same 2.5 liter inline 4 and the CVT from the Rogue. Uh, initial reports for the PHEV uh, seem to be saying that it's going to be the same uh, 2.4 liter engine mated to an all-new electric system that's powered by an updated battery uh, and motor drivetrain uh, from the Mitsubishi IMEVs, the late IMEVs that were in Japan. So yeah, I, I, I guess we'll, we'll find out more very soon, but I'm very curious to see because I really like the Outlander PHEV. Um, I think it's a good looking vehicle. It's one that I've kept an eye on for uh, used car sales um, just because, you know, it, it, it's, it's a good truck. And, you know, if you need space and you want an EV, I could think of worse ways to do things if you don't have a particularly long commute. So, yeah, more on that, I guess, when news comes. And then the last little bit of news that I wanted to touch on is the uh, Ford Ranger Tremor. Uh, the Ranger Tremor has been, you know, it's been known about for a while. Um, there were some initial press previews that got done a few weeks ago, and now the actual reviews are coming out, and things are looking pretty good. Uh, the Ranger Tremor is uh, a trim package that you can get, I believe, on the XL and up 
uh, in the trim of our nose, the XLT and up. It's, it's an interesting configuration because it basically takes where the FX4 package is and adds a bit more. So think of this kind of as the uh, Colorado ZR2, Toyota TRD, um, Ram Rebel-ish, not quite kind of competitor. Um, so they're adding, you know, Fox shocks, Fox 2.0 shocks, um, really knobby uh, general grabber tires, um, a fully retuned uh, rear suspension, um, some off-roady bits on the interior and exterior, and just really making a really compelling package. And it's not particularly expensive. I think it's only $1,500, $1,700 on top of an FX4. Um, so really, you could probably get one of these for just a hair over 40 grand, and that strikes me as a very compelling deal, uh, because at least in several reviews that I've read today, uh, and videos as well, Kelly Blue Book and Motor Trend both talked about how the Tremor package basically fixes the ride and handling issues that the uh, Ranger has been known to have, where the suspension tuning is very harsh because it's designed to have a significantly higher payload and towing capacity than many of its competitors. Uh, with the softer rear suspension uh, and the uh, you know upgraded shocks and all that, um, basically this thing is able to you know soak up bumps on the road, ride a little more quietly, um, just be a generally more comfortable vehicle while only losing you know fractional amounts of towing and payload capacity, which is uh, always a good thing. But uh, yeah, we'll kind of have to keep an eye out for them. Uh, we're starting to see trickles of the 2021 and 20... Are they 2022 Fords coming through? Uh, we've gotten several Bronco Sports at the local Ford dealer. We've gotten at least two Mach-E's now at this point. Um, so I'm definitely eager to see more new Ford products coming very soon. But uh, after the bump, we will talk a bit about a news item that floated around again today, or at least within the last 24 hours. Uh, and something that I think asks an interesting question. What is a $25,000 Tesla going to look like? Think about that, and we'll see you in just a moment. So as I said before, this segment we're going to kind of talk about the $25,000 Tesla, uh, which is a subject I think we covered a million trillion years ago on this show uh, and it's coming up again because, uh, well, Tesla is discussing it again. Uh, late in the year last year, Elon Musk talked about how uh, the ID3 uh, and increased pressure from other uh, automotive brands is going to need them or require them to move slightly down market in what they're offering to basically broaden their customer base. And a $25,000 Tesla uh, was listed in a presentation that they did around that time. Uh, as a future product uh, that might get pushed forward further, um, you know, as as demand changes. Uh, more or less what this means is that Tesla is afraid of the ID3 cannibalizing sales of the Model 3 in Europe. Uh, this is an indication that continued investment in EVs from Chinese automobile companies, from Geely and Neo and uh, Xpeng and many, many more are going to start to eat away at uh, Model 3 and Model S sales. Uh, and then here in the U.S., you know, cars like the Chevy Bolt, the Mustang Mach-E, um, 
really anything else uh, could start to eat away at those sales too. And having a $25,000 car would represent a fairly affordable entry price for a vast number of people. Keep in mind that the average new car transaction price for 2020 was right around $40,000, which is give or take where the Model 3 starts. And having $25,000 as your headline, you know, undercuts that by a lot. Uh, that's, an, that's a price point where, you know, people who are, I'm going to use the words well-landed and recently out of college could probably easily afford. Uh, a lot of people you know, generally speaking, could probably afford a $25,000 EV when you start to consider, you know, low fuel costs, almost no fuel costs, low maintenance, yada, yada, yada. Uh, it's a pretty attractive thing. The question is, how is Tesla going to do a $25,000 car? Uh, I, I think first, the, the biggest question for me is, what sacrifices are we making to make this happen? Uh, think of the Model 3, where Tesla had promised a $35,000 model, uh, which was never really fully offered. Uh, the $35,000 model got pre-ordered, and those got sent out, and then it was offered as a full model for, I'm going to use the, the, the time span of weeks. It was something that you could get. Then it was something you had to special order off menu, uh, and now it's a Model 3 that just flat out doesn't exist at all. So Tesla, you know, isn't exactly good at sticking to their promises in terms of pricing and packaging there. Um, that particular Model 3, in addition, also lost, you know, on certain interior features, certain infotainment features. Uh, it, it was really a compromised vehicle to hit a price point where they really just wanted you to buy in to a higher end thing overall. Uh, I, I think the biggest question for me is, would a $25,000 Tesla mean that they need to develop an all-new chassis? Or is this going to be some kind of shrunken-down version of what the Model 3 is on? Again, um, how much smaller does it get than the Model 3? You know, the Model 3 being around the size of a 3 Series BMW, does this mean that this car gets cut down to something around the size of a 1 Series BMW? Or is this something that now becomes the size of a Mini uh, SE? It's a very complicated. <laughs> it's a very complicated answer to a problem that I think Tesla is really only asking themselves at this point. And I, I personally love the idea of a small, compact, or subcompact EV from Tesla. I think it would be very interesting uh, because you know, again, they do build some of the best electric motors, batteries, and software systems right now available, and, you know, they've got to run for the block in this segment because it's quickly going to be coming from, you know, GM, Honda, Toyota, uh, really anyone who builds lower-cost, high-volume vehicles, there's going to be a $25,000 EV very, very soon here in the U.S., and yet while the ID3 is that in Europe, we're not going to see anything that affordable, that affordable and that sized here for probably quite some time. So all of that there, I guess the question is, then where do you build it? You know, building a $25,000 EV in the United States seems fairly cost prohibitive, especially for a company like Tesla that doesn't have the manufacturing capacity of GM, Toyota, Ford, or anybody else. 
Um, the articles that were floating around yesterday seem to say that Tesla was looking at building this car in China and then exporting it to global markets elsewhere. Um, they are currently completing their Gigafactory in China right now. There's also a Gigafactory going in in Germany. Um, I believe the German factory is probably going to be building Model 3s in the not-too-distant future, um, whereas the Chinese market plant We'll be doing Model 3s at least initially, but there sounds like there's going to be a lot of excess capacity there. So, you know, who, who really knows? Someone posed a question on Twitter yesterday, you know, are people going to care if this cheap Tesla is manufactured in China and sent elsewhere? And that really just feels like a 2010 question at this point. You know, we've had Chinese-built American cars uh, in the market for several years now. Uh, we're on a second-generation Buick that's a Chinese model built in China and shipped to the United States. Um, I don't think people care. I don't think people will know to really ask questions because the headline is, of course, it's a Tesla and it's $25,000. And I think a lot of people who know the Tesla brand are just going to leap on that. You know, think of BMW. BMW could have built, you know, the 318 Ti in Bosnia for anyone, but because it's got that spindle on the grill, you know, people are going to buy it. It's a BMW, and I think it's going to be largely the same case. So whether this $25,000 car is built, you know, in Fremont or Shanghai or, you know, Berlin, it, it really just genuinely doesn't matter because it's a Tesla product. Uh, and I think thirdly, you know, the question is, can or will Tesla do it? And, you know, as we've seen over and over and over and over again over the past few years, is that Tesla likes to talk shit, but they never really get hit uh, or, or hit whatever. Like, they love to talk about the projects that they're working on. They love to say that, hey, you know, we're going to do this. Hey, we're going to do that. And it's it's like you're playing a carnival game with a ball under a cup you know the target is always moving their attention is always moving and you know thinking of a product like the semi truck which admittedly there have been lots of prototypes uh seen doing things and other things uh it's largely still vaporware at this point and tesla has taken a lot of money from big companies all across the country on these promised semis uh but you know tesla has been saying that they don't have the capacity to build the batteries and the motors for them yet so it's going back on the back burner think of something like the cybertruck which has oodles and oodles and oodles of hype but again has shown no forward momentum in terms of development in terms of well anything at this point from tesla and i think will largely be vaporware for the next few years and to be honest, Tesla really can't afford to lose the market share to Rivian, Ford, GM, Chrysler, uh, name any other electric vehicle brand right now uh, in that market because that's going to be where a ton of buying power will be in the next few years. And you would think you would want to push this truck into the forefront of the market ASAP. Then there's the Roadster. The Roadster was promised years ago at this point people paid full prices up front for this thing uh the Tes the roadster production got pushed back another year after it having been pushed back a year before i mean these these are all projects that are just spinning their tires in mud and in money and in whatever and tesla's taking deposits left right and center for these things and there's no sign 
that they're even close to a real thing. And so for them to say, yeah, we're going to do a $25,000 car really kind of feels like the same thing. Like, why are you adding another project to this list when you haven't finished any of the other ones that you've been working on for the last five or six years? So a $25,000 Tesla is a great idea. And I think Tesla, if they put their mind to it, could do a wonderful job with this product. Um, but it's definitely a believe it when you see it type thing because unless the car actually comes out, I don't think there's really any chance of it happening anytime soon. Like, I just, I can't imagine Elon coming out on a stage in, you know, 12 weeks and going, oh, by the way, we're doing this. Uh, it'll be available in the next year or so. Um, it just doesn't seem feasible at this point uh, for them as a company. So, I, I, I don't know. Kind of a bit of a rant on the 25 grand Tesla. But, uh, yeah. And then there's a whole other thing. Would it actually be $25,000? I have my doubts. Uh, I, I definitely think it's going to be a bait-and-switch type thing like the Model 3 was where, yeah, it's advertised as a $25,000 model, but the actual one that you can get easily uh, is $29,900. And, uh, you know, hey, you know, beggars can't be choosers. It's a Tesla, so pay up, guys. <sighs> anyway, after the bump, uh, we're going to talk about some PHEV things in real life right now. Uh, in the coldest month that we've had in a very long time in 2021. So see ya in just a bit. So last up, I wanted to talk a bit about my Volt driving it right now in the very, very cold temps in the snow here in Michigan. And overall, I think I have to report some fairly good impressions. Uh, the Volt, you know, weighs well over 4,000 pounds uh, with the battery mounted down low in the center of the vehicle. Uh, the car is absolutely fantastic in the snow. Uh, I have never felt unstable, unsafe, anything like that. Uh, I, I have been genuinely surprised by how good this car is in the snow. Uh, perhaps the only issue that I've come across in driving so far uh, in these uh, wintry, very wintry days is that because the electric motor makes all of its power from zero RPM, it's very easy to spin the tires and the tracked control gets uh, in there right away, cutting power, breaking the wheels, and uh, from a standstill, uh, the, the car will accelerate perhaps a little too slowly compared to other cars uh, where you can just kind of gun it, the wheel digs in, and then you go. Um, the kind of downside right now with a PHEV, with it being as cold as what it is, uh, high teens, single digits have been kind of where we've been at the past few days in terms of highs and lows, uh, is that the gas motor just runs. It runs and runs and runs and runs. Uh, it's too cold for the car to really run the battery in general right now. Uh, and so I've been getting quite honestly terrible gas mileage, uh, with this, uh, wintry weather. Uh, I think when I filled up today, the most recent quote-unquote tank that I did, I burnt off about six gallons of gas in the past week, uh, was about 29 miles per gallon. Uh, that is the worst fuel economy I've gotten since I had my Celica. And my Celica on a good day would do about 24 to 28. Uh, my Fiesta was usually closer to 32 to 40. Um, so not particularly good. Uh, for a Volt. Um, but that's because, you know, I warm the car up before I go out to get the battery conditioned. Um, so it's sitting there idling 
running juice uh you know at yesterday leaving work it was so cold that even though i had almost 20 miles of electric range the car just went nope we're not doing that it's way too cold we're running the gas motor bye um so that's definitely been a bit of adjustment and i think as a whole part of this it's i'm a little bit guilty as well because uh i haven't been plugging the car in as regularly as what i would like because you know we got 13 inches of snow last weekend uh and single digits don't do particularly well for me to walk the two tenths of a mile to the closest charging application that i have so yeah uh this kind of is weird because this comes in the face of a story that was uh posted i think it was the end of the year last year um by one of the european uh testing agencies where they talked about how pheves in some situations are dirtier than regular regular gas cars uh and i think this past couple of weeks has really painted that picture pretty clearly for my volt where this car is you know running the gas motor like crazy and it being a, a cvt hybrid type thing it'll rev way up when accelerating onto the highway uh, and hang there for a bit until the battery gets warm and yeah not particularly good for the environment but you know what can you do uh come spring and summertime when the temps are a little bit better i imagine it will do much better uh the new job that i recently got has a charger available uh to employees so keeping it charged up there will be much easier than my current situation um so yeah i i think we're going to be doing much better in the not too distant future so just wanted to give a quick update on the volt and uh yeah in just a moment we will wrap up the show right that just about wraps up this episode of the charge or die podcast if you want to follow along with me and all of my shenanigans over on weird car twitter you can do so at twitter.com slash yssman that's pronounced iceman and you can follow along with episodes of this show at anchor.fm slash charge or die. Uh, this podcast is basically on every podcasting platform so whether it's uh, apple itunes spotify google podcasts really any of them at all uh just type in charge or die and you will find us um like i said earlier uh there is an announcement about the outlander happening later this week Uh, i believe the chevy bolt and bolt euv announcement is either on sunday or tuesday next week uh so we'll be sure to talk about that very soon as well but uh in the meantime guys uh i hope you have a great rest of your week uh have a safe weekend And we will see you on the next episode of the Charge or Die podcast.